This being the fourth Sunday, we are looking at our annual theme, which we just sang, O Thou Fount of Every Blessing. I've heard someone say, are we going to get tired of that song by December? I hope so. Maybe not in the way that you think of it. I hope it's going to be written on our hearts. And not just the words. I'm sure you and I could sing it without the words on the, on the page. I'm hoping the fact that we're slowing down and thinking about the meaning behind these words, that it's just going to become a very fond and familiar song to us, deeper and richer and what it means for us as God's people. It's, it's good when we can take these truths and marry them to things that we remember like songs and walk them off the page into our lives. So today we are continuing on with O Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and we are looking at the beginning of the second verse, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. I really believe if there's a phrase in our hymns that confuses us and we don't know what it means, this is probably near the top of the list. I guarantee most of us, if we are familiar with hymns at all, this is one that we have sung before and we probably wonder, I don't know what that means. The only Ebenezer most of us are familiar with is with the Christmas story. And along with that, what does it mean to raise said Ebenezer? I will tell you the answer to this question is a source of great hope and of great strength and of great confidence and thankfulness to the Lord. It will be very appropriate for the, for the great things taking place this Sunday. As we as a congregation are closing the door on a new time and a new transition, adding new servants and deacons to this congregation. So let's get our context. What does it mean, Ebenezer? We're going to walk right through it because it begins in 1 Samuel and the story progresses. I want us to catch the story. I left you some notes. You see a map on yours. We're going to be tracing something on the map. It's a really fascinating story what takes place, what we find with this Ebenezer. The Lord appeared again at Shiloh, it says in 1 Samuel 3, verse 21, because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. God had come to this young prophet Samuel, and he had expressed his will, his plan, his desire for his people, and the plan was not really a good plan. It was a plan of judgment. God was going to come and to judge his people for their unfaithfulness, and that's the context of what takes place in chapter Four. And chapter 4, it begins in 1 Samuel 4 and verse 1. Thus the word of, of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer, while the Philistines camped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. Ebenezer is a place. Ebenezer is a city. And so Israel is in Ebenezer. The Philistines come and engage in battle, and 4,000 men are defeated. Not a great sign, but Israel doesn't take it. They don't understand the sign because in their minds, though it was a defeat, we've got Eli, the priest of God. We've got his sons, Phineas. We've got his other son, Hophni. And above all of that, we have the Ark of the Covenant. We have the very presence of God in our midst. And so they choose what we're going to do on the map. If you've got a pen, we're going to trace the Ark of the Covenant. And they bring that Ark over to Ebenezer. They think if we just bring it over in battle, we will defeat the enemy. And so they bring the Ark over to Ebenezer. And it says in verse 10 of our context in 1 Samuel 4, that the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great, for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died. Down in verse 18, 
This is shared to Eli, all that took place. And it says, when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell off the seat backwards beside the gate. His neck was broken and he died for he was an old, he was old and he was heavy. And thus he judged Israel 40 years. So you see what happens. Here's Israel and they're thinking, we, we had a minor setback. We lost the first battle, but we've got priests. We've got the ark. Let's bring them to the midst. They thought we have what represents the presence of God among us. What they didn't consider is, is God among us? Is God present here? And the evidence was clear. The priests are killed. The ark is taken. Again, that ark. When you saw the ark, you saw the presence of God. Because when they came into battle, in verse 7, the Philistines were afraid, and they said, God has come into the camp. But then as the ark departs, the Phineas' uh, wife gives birth, and she names his son. Down in verse 21 of our context, Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. So now Ebenezer has become synonymous with great failure. Not just military failure, this is an immense spiritual failure for the people of Israel thinking that they had the presence of God among them and God allowed them to be wiped out, decimated. So the ark goes from Ebenezer and the Philistines take it down to Ashdod. And they do what you would imagine they would do. They place it in the, in the location where their gods were present. And so they had an altar to their god Dagon and they place the ark in front of this statue. But that's when some strange things start taking place. And so we're in chapter five now. And it says in chapter 5 and verse 3, when the Ashdodites arose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set him in his place again. You can't really have a God bowing down to another God. He fell down. And so you imagine in their sense, they thought, well, maybe he wasn't tethered down. Maybe it was really windy. Well, the next verse in verse 4, when they arose the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. So now the idol has been, his hands and his head are removed. And in verse 6, it says, Now the hand of the Lord was heavy on the Ashdodites, and he ravaged them and smote them with tumors, both Ashdod and his territories. You get the presence. This ark is coming to the midst, and they're starting to learn quickly, this shouldn't be in our midst. Our idol is getting destroyed. We're becoming sick. And so they say, we don't want it anymore. And they send it down to Gath. And so it goes down to Ath, Gath in verse 8 and verse 9. In verse 9, it says, after they had brought it around. It's fascinating. If you trace it in verse 8 and verse 9, that word around is used again and again and again as if they thought, we're going to bring the ark on tour. We want to show you that we have the ark of the covenant. That didn't work well for them because in verse 9, as they brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city with very great confusion. And he smote them into the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. Same thing. They had the ark. They're parading it around town and everyone's getting sick. So what do they do? Well, we don't want it. So they send it up to Ekron, another Philistine city. And so they send it up to Ekron. Same thing. Down in verse 11. They sent and gathered all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of God of Israel and let it return to its own place so that it will not kill us and our people. For there was, there was a deadly confusion throughout the city and the hand of God was heavy there. Everywhere it's going in the Philistine, uh, Philistine cities, it was bringing destruction. And so it kind of became a joke, right? It's kind of back up in verse 10. They're saying everyone who gets the ark wants to be punished. So it's, who wants it? Who wants to take this ark? And so they finally decide it needs to go back to Israel. 
And so in chapter 6, they gather an offering. They have realized they must have offended whatever God is associated with this special box. So they gather an offering and deliver the ark over to Beth Shemesh. That is of Israel, a city belonging to the people of God. And so they gather their offering and they leave the ark with the people of God. And the people of God who receive it initially receive it with offerings and with praise. But we find near the end of 1 Samuel 6 that there were some in this city in verse 19. It says, He struck some men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck down of all the people 50,070 men. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And so there were some who didn't respect God and didn't respect his law and his boundaries. And they peeked inside the ark of the God and it came with a cost. Now look at verse 20. This is a question that should have been asked a long time ago. They finally start to ask the right questions. The men at Bishamist said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up from us? In other words, where is this ark going to go? But there's our question. The question is not, do we have this box? Do we have the ark? The question is, who can stand before this holy God and be right with him? Because it's obvious none of us are. And so they send the ark to Kirith Jerem, where it stays for 20 years. There it sits. And for 20 years, this young, wise prophet of God, Samuel, grows. And it doesn't grow in age. He grows in wisdom and in understanding. And in our chapter in 1 Samuel 7, where we get to our Ebenezer, remember, Ebenezer is a city which means it's associated with great disaster and failure. Well, in 1 Samuel 7, in verse 3, it says, Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Asherah among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord, and serve him alone, he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Asherah and served the Lord alone. That's what it was. That's what they should have asked in the first place. What can we do to be right with this God? And Samuel directs them and says, it's not about the ark. It's about your heart. It's about following the Lord and the Lord alone. And so Samuel directs them then to gather against the Philistines. And it says in verse 7, when the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered the mitzvah, the Lord to the Philistines went against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Why? Because of Ebenezer. Because they had been destroyed by the Philistines before. It didn't go so well. And so in verse 8, the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. And the Philistines drew near the battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. The men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and named it Ebenezer saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more within the border of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Do you notice the difference? The first time the Israelites gathered against the Philistines, they thought God was with them, and they were destroyed. 
The second time, Samuel directed their hearts to be right with God, and not only did they defeat the Philistines, they did it because God was with them. God is miraculously working on their behalf. And because of this victory, Samuel chooses to mark the occasion by setting up this stone, and of all the things he could have called it, he calls it Ebenezer. The name simply means a stone of help. Where once the name was associated with great disaster and defeat, now the same name is used as a sense of victory and deliverance. It points back to the glory and the goodness of God who saved his people and defeated the enemy. He raised a stone so that when they saw that stone and called back to its name, it reminded them of what the Lord had done. It's an amazing story. thing is, when you look at this, it's not unique. There are times in the past when the people of God have had moments with the Lord, amazing things have taken place, and they choose to mark the occasion by setting up a stone or an altar. So remember when Jacob was on the move, he was running away because his brother wanted to kill him. He stopped for the night and he had a dream about angels going up and down on a ladder. Do you remember that? Well, he took that stone that he laid his head upon and he made an altar. So, so Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar. And he poured oil on its top. And he called the name of that place Bethel, house of the Lord. However, it had been known before this as the city of lies. And so here's Jacob. Something amazing happened. And so he wanted to remember what happened. So he set up a stone and he gave it a name. There's an occasion in the book of Joshua, our kids study this, uh, this quarter, where they crossed the Jordan River because the Lord had parted this, the, the river. And God tells them, he says, take for yourselves up 12 stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. The reason why he gets to a little later, he says uh, to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? then you shall let your children know Israel pass over this Jordan on dry ground. They didn't build a bridge. They didn't swim across. No, no, your father and your mother, they walked on dry ground because God parted the Red or the Jordan River. You can't see the point. When they saw those stones, specific to our story, when they saw the Ebenezer stone, it was supposed to do something for the people. In one sense, it was to direct their attention backwards, to remember God out of thankfulness. God was with us. There was no way we should have won that battle. And yet the Lord, because of his grace and his mercy and his love, he delivered us. He delivered us with a mighty hand. And so our God is so good and so faithful and so loving. We ought to be so thankful for God who has been with us in our times. But in the same sense, Samuel's language, which is what our hymn pulls Right? Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. Which is a way of saying God has been with me thus far. Which also points our direction forward. To rely on God. That is, if God was with me then, and if God delivered me then, and if God brought victory there, surely we can trust he will do so again. Do you see them raising an Ebenezer? It's something that we can do, and really, I don't even know if can is the right word. Perhaps the right word is it's something we really ought to do, should do, perhaps even must do. 
It's something that each one of us can do as individuals. Every single one of us on our own as individual people can raise our Ebenezer's as that which reminds us of what God has done and we hope will do in the future. And so we think back as people of God, individual souls in our relationship with God, and we think how the Lord has been with us, how God has provided for you, he's provided for me, physically, financially, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Breck led a song today that's written right out of Psalm 103, the 10,000 reasons, and the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who forgives all of your iniquity, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You love that? Where are you because of what the Lord has done? Well, God's blessed us richly. He's given me a job and a home and friendship. He has led me to where I am spiritually. What I know, the depth of my prayers, my understanding of his word, my trust in difficult times. God has seen me through storms. God has seen me through trials. God was with me when I didn't have the answer and I didn't know how to go forward, but he stood with me then. And I am only here today by his grace. I am today what I am and where I am because he has seen me through every step of the way. And I know that if God was with me before and he's blessed me so richly before and I can see that and I can remember that and I can, I can find occasions to call back and, and find those memories of when God was with me. If he was with me before, then I trust that whatever is yet to come, however God allows me to live, however long, that he'll be with me again. And whatever storms I face, he was with me there, and I know he's going to be with me again. And if God provided for me in needs in the past, I trust he's going to do so again when the needs arise in the future. You see, David said to, to Saul, when Saul wanted to put all his armor on him, he said, look, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul's only answer was, go and may the Lord be with you. God was with me here. And so I know he's going to be with me again. We can do that. We can raise our Ebenezer's. And really, I think this is an excellent exercise for families to do. Look how the Lord has been with us before. God brought us together. For most of the men in this congregation, we would say we would not be where we are without our wives. And that was by God's good providence of allowing us to meet the people that we have met, to have the marriages that we have. And God has blessed our marriages. He's blessed us to be where we are, how close we are, how deep in love we are. God has seen our homes through hard times. God has blessed our homes with abundance of blessings, with children. The psalmist would say, Bless, uh, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb of reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He should not be put to shame when he speaks of his enemies in the gate. Can you go back and do that? It's kind of like going in your attic if you haven't done it for a while, and you just kind of walk back through things you've forgotten. You look at those little onesies you haven't pulled out in a long time and you go back and you think how God was with us then and things were really good. And those were great times and those were wonderful memories. You look back through the photo albums of what the places you and your spouse traveled and the memories you created. You think back to times when you 
were deep in prayer and the things that were so important those years ago, or you think back during the hard times, man, it was rough. And you didn't know how, how you guys were going to get back along and agree with one another. And you didn't want to be together in the same room and things were tense. But you see how God brought you through to where, to where you are today. Or things were so hard with the children and you think, I don't know how in the world they're ever going to get back. It seems like the world is such a grab and a grasp of my child. But to see God bring prodigals back home and to see them faithful and strong, we are raising our Ebenezer's as families to see where the Lord has been and trusting that if God saw us through, brethren, if God has been with our family in the past and woven and blessed such beautiful memories and such tender, compassionate care, then I can trust he's going to do so again in whatever it is that we face. One of the things I love out of the statement given to Naomi and Ruth Fuller is that that's exactly what's done. What is spoken to her by the women who are there is pulling back to what had been and looking forward to what will be. They said, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons and he has given birth to him. You once were without a redeemer. Things once looked really rough, but the Lord was with you then and now because he has been with you, you have trust. You have hope, you have confidence that the Lord will continue to provide for you and yet to come. Can you see the, the point, the greater principle? Can you see then why it would be so important for us, especially on a day like today, as we transition to add new servants to this congregation with new work? It is good for us in times to pause and to raise our Ebenezer's as a church, as a people, as a collective brought together by the Lord. You just think, brethren, you think back to where we have been. This church, by God's goodwill, by August, will celebrate its 60th year of existence, 60 years together. You think of all the shepherds who have served this church for over 40 years. All the deacons who have served. All the Bible class teachers and all the countless number of classes that has been taught through those 60 precious years. You think right now and you look around, one of the things I love the most are crying children. And how blessed we are with an abundance of children. And of a church that numbers averagely around 400, half of it are young children. Half are 18 and younger. Think of that. Half of 400, nearly 200 among us are 18 and younger. And for most of us, the entire congregations we grew up with were 200, let alone 100. And that's among us. By God's good blessing. If you think about where you stand today because of the blessing of this congregation the teaching of elders and deacons and encouragement of the saints, where you stand now and your walk with God and the maturity of your faith because of the blessing of this congregation, the friendships that are associated, the trust that you've been able to build with one another. Think of the unity that we have, good brethren. We are so different in a lot of different ways, but God saw us through sometimes that really could have pulled us apart. God saw us through 2020 and we were able to stand together. God saw us through when we had some serious crises among us. God was with us when we had great grief. God was with us when Clay passed away. God was with us this year with William. And God has allowed us to be able to face our difficulties and our differences with love. God has seen us to some incredible places in the past year 
by no glory to your preachers, by no praise to your servants, 30 souls were added to the gospel, were added to Christ and obeyed the gospel. 30 souls because of Jesus in one year. We have a lot to look back on and to thank the Lord to how he has brought us to where we are today. Terry's going to come up and give thanks. Let us pray. O oh, great Jehovah God, we humble ourselves before you, recognizing that we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. Father, we thank you for choosing us, for sanctifying us, for forgiving us, for saving us. We thank you for adopting us into your family. Father, we thank you for your wisdom in creating the church and how you've given it to us to help each other in our spiritual walk together, to encourage each other, to admonish each other, to love each other, to help each other, to support each other, to serve each other. Father, we thank you about for this specific family that is gathered here today. We thank you for blessing us, Father, with 60 years of existence together. We think about the people that have graced this number. We think about those that have gone on to their, their reward. We think about those that have moved away and taken what they learned here into other lands, into other areas. And Father, we thank Thee for the stand that this congregation has had for the truth. We look back over 60 years and we see, Father, faithful leadership, faithful shepherds who have sought to lead this congregation to protect it, to have it follow you. We thank you for those shepherds, Father. We stand upon them. We stand upon the deacons that have served this congregation faithfully over the past so many years. And Father, we thank you for the wives of these men, for their support of their husbands, for, for the help that they gave, for the sacrifice that they made for this, this congregation. Father, we thank you for the men who have served as evangelists here, who have proclaimed the word, and sought to teach us the truth and storm our wills and cause us to think, to meditate, to study the scriptures for ourselves and apply it to our lives. Oh God, we thank you for blessing this, this congregation with such a wonderful group of families. 
families that are dedicated to you, families that teach their children about who you are and what it means to serve you and to do your will and yours alone. Father, we thank you for the work that they do behind the scenes. There's so much that goes on, not just as we assemble together. But each day, families that are seeking to shine their light in the world, husbands, wives, sons and daughters, that will talk to other people about your love, showing your love to others. And they will tell them about the difference Jesus has made in our lives. And Father, those things have helped this congregation to grow. And we thank you for those opportunities, Father. We pray that we will be achieving your purposes to gain your will. And that we will take your word out into this community and seek to tell others about you causing the gospel to spread, causing more thankfulness to you, Father, from more people. We thank you for the opportunity that this, this congregation has had to participate in the gospel by supporting preachers in other areas and other lands. We thank you, Father, for the harmony the peace, the unity, and the love that has been shown here for so many years. Yes, there have been tough times. And Father, you have seen us through those. You've seen us through personal struggles. You've seen us through the loss of loved ones. You've seen us through a pandemic and through it all, Father. Through each one of those storms, you've never left us. Your love has seen us through and we have relied upon you. We thank you, Father, because even during these tough times, we see a faith that has become stronger we see people that are maturing in the faith. And we pray, Father, thanking you for your patience with us. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Father, for your grace that is so great still led, led us to where we are today. May we never forget we pray these things in the name of Jesus the Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you, Terry. It's a great exercise, good brethren, to look, to count our blessings, and to say thank you. For all of our youth, our senior saints so strong and they're a good example 
for our abundance of servants. We have a lot to give thanks for. But the Ebenezer Stone was more than a call for them to see what God has done and to be thankful. The Ebenezer Stone pointed the people of God forward to trust in the Lord that if he had been with them in the past, we trust he'll be with us in the future. From our context in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3, Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Asherah from among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him alone, he will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. That if we walk with the Lord, we trust that he will walk and bless us. And that's the next exercise. Excellent for us to consider. If, Lord, if the Lord has been with us before and blessed us so richly in the past, can we trust what he will bring and do for us in the years to come, Lord willing, unless Jesus returns? To think, to think about all the souls that may come to the gospel through a collective work one another. To think about where we're going to be. To think about trusting that if the Lord has brought us to this point and have, has taught us and encouraged us and matured us, to think where we might be through his will and his grace. How much stronger and deeper. To think how much more unified we could be in the future. That if we have eight shepherds today, imagine in the future who else is to serve and to bless this congregation through their leadership. And the same with deacons. The thing about each one of us, it's not about having numbers, but imagine all the souls that will continue to join and to come from different places and to add to the collective work of this congregation. It's also knowing that we face hard times in the past and we know, good brethren, that if the Lord gives us far more time in the future, we're going to face hard times. But if God was with us then, if God saw us through economic crises, like in the early 2000s, if God saw this congregation through a very tense time in its early beginning where the shepherds had to step down, if God saw this church recently through a pandemic and all sorts of divisions through the country and we stood together as one, we know, we trust, and we believe God will be with us again and whatever it is we will face in the future. If our future, has, if our past has been so bright because of God's good blessing and his grace, that same stone of Ebenezer calls us good brethren to think and reflect and hope and trust that our future will be just as bright because of God's good blessing in his work. And so I've asked Brother Matt Jones to give a prayer of trust for what we hope to come in the future. As we pray about that trust looking forward, before we do so, I want to read uh, Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray with me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and I'll find me. And when you search for me with all your heart, I will let myself be found by you, declares the Lord. Let's pray about the future. God, we come before you this morning grateful to be able to look in the past, thankful, humble hearts, God. But as we look to the future, we can only trust in the one true living God. We come to you full of trust, 
full of faith in your unfailing love and your mercy and your grace. God, we know that you are with us. You are shield around us and you lift up our heads. We find comfort and peace in knowing that you will never leave us. And we can lean upon that strength to sustain us and increase our trust in you, O oh God. We trust that you will grow our faith. And we pray that that growth of our faith individually and as a church family is abundant. May our hearts be open to your truth. And may your word take deep root within each of us. Strengthen that belief that we have in you, God, that we may be a light to those around us. God, we trust in your divine plan looking forward. We ask that you open doors so that the gospel can be spread. Grant us that boldness and that wisdom to share that message, the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Guide us in those opportunities so that other hearts, other lives may be transformed through Jesus Christ. God, we trust you that you will bless our families. We lift our families up, trusting you in the provisions and blessings that have come from you. We ask for growth in our homes and in this church, both in numbers, but more importantly, God, in spiritual growth. May our homes be filled with joy and love and harmony and our children and our grandchildren grow in the knowledge and fear of you, Lord. Strengthen those bonds between spouses, between parents and children so that we can continue to reflect your love and emulate Christ in all of our relationships. God, we trust that you will use each of us in your service. And we pray for the youth of our church, the young adults, and our mature saints, God. Equip us, especially our teenagers, with wisdom, with discernment, that they boldly live out their faith during the challenges of this world. Enable our young adults to be a light in their schools and their places of work. And may our older saints, God, continue to be shining examples of faithfulness and wisdom, guiding us through their examples and with godly counsel. Lord, we trust that you will hold this church closely together, that you will bind us in unity and harmony and a love that we set aside differences and preferences and that we focus on the greater purpose of glorifying you each and every day, putting one another first. God, may our relationships be guided by compassion and empathy and understanding and forgiveness where it's needed. Let our love for one another be an example to the world. God, we know that you can see us through, and we trust that. We've seen it in the struggles and the trials. 
but we trust in your presence and your abiding love. You are a refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. And we know that you can see us through every trial that we face. We play for strength and faith and peace through any adversity we may face. We know that your plans are higher than ours, Father, and your ways are not our ways. You do all things in your time. Help us to wait on you for renewed strength. Help us to run and not be weary. Help us to walk and not faint. God, we trust that you will be glorified through this church and all that we do be done for your glory. Guide us and lead us and use us, Father, in that service that all may come to know Jesus. And it's his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for walking through that exercise together with me. I think if we would allow the powerful passage and the meaning of what took place so long ago that happened more often, we would find ourselves as a thankful, trustful, hopeful people. But we need to end and we need to walk this off the page. The, the stone of Ebenezer was simply that. It, it was a stone. He didn't just say remember. He gave them something to remember, a, a visual reminder that when they saw the stone, that's where their mind was to go. It was not an idol. It, it wasn't something that replaced God. And that's what happened to the bronze serpent. Remember, they had that bronze serpent that when they looked to God delivered them. Well, they took that bronze serpent and they turned it into an idol and it replaced God among them. That's not what a stone of Ebenezer is. A stone of Ebenezer, an Ebenezer stone is to point our attention, to redirect our gaze to God, to help us to see and reflect and remember who he is and to be honest, you and I have a lot of Ebenezers around us, and I would encourage you to think about that. What are the things you have, not just memories, what are the things you have that when you see them, they call to mind God's faithfulness, his provision, and his goodness? For some, it's a wedding ring, reminding you of the promise and God's care all through the years. For some, it's cards written by loved ones, cards in certain moments, and the things that they said just at that moment reminded and encouraged you and helped you in so many amazing ways. For some, it's things like creation, uh, just the very presence of stars at night or the rising of the sun showing the, and highlighting the, the, the changing of dark delight and the new day that God promises. For some, it's literal scars on our bodies that we have been through surgeries, and what is left can be quite severe, but it has shown that God saw us through and God delivered us. For some of us, it's people. Quite literally, as Peter would use the language, we have living Ebenezers, living stones among us. Like our brother Joe Fagan, who is an Ebenezer of God's great faithfulness and provision and faith. I just ask you to think, to imagine, what is it around you in your life that you have raised that you have placed great significance in, not to replace God at all, but to be the very visual reminders, the redirections that help you to think and reflect on God's goodness and his provision. The songwriter who wrote Amazing Grace, John Newton, wrote these words. 
His love and time pass forbids me to think. He'll leave me at last and trouble to sink. Each sweet Ebenezer I have and review confirms his good pleasure to help me quite through. And that it, can you imagine if we filled our life with Ebenezer's to where everywhere we went, we constantly were reminded of the deliverance and provision of our God. Thankful, so thankful, but so hopeful of what is to come. Here I raise my Ebenezer. The greatest Ebenezer, good brethren, the greatest stone has been the rock of ages who has been given for us. And Jesus, we're reminded of a God who loves us, of a God who desires us to be with him forever, of a God who loves us so much he gave his son. And that's what he's given for every one of us here today, that Jesus gave his life, his blood on the cross, so that those who would believe in him and turn from their sin to obey his, his gospel call, to put him on in baptism, could be adopted into his family. And if you've not started that journey today, today's the day to do so. Give your life to Jesus, turn from sin, and be adopted into his family. But if you've struggled, if you need some prayers, if you need some hope, some help raising some Ebenezer's, today's a great day that we can help you with that. If we can do anything to help you in any way, let's do it right now. Let's stand and let's sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at thebibleway.com we'd love to have you in person come if you can but thank you for connecting with us